Thanks. So we're starting from um, Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chloe, so much. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Uh, As Jonathan said, my name is Katie. Uh, I'm a children's minister here, so I'm more often found in the morning service. But I'm very excited to be able to be released into the evening with you guys. Um, I love this passage. It's only, it's really short. I'd actually originally said it was only five verses long. Daniel pointed out it's six verses long. So it's only six verses long. Uh, But it tells us so, so much. It cuts to the heart of our faith. It explains about the nature of prayer and the nature of salvation. That's a heavy-hitting six verses. Before we get into that, though, I think we need to look a little bit at the two characters that we're uh, presented, that we have before us. Often I feel like the Pharisees in the Bible uh, are reduced to almost the role of a pantomime villain. Like we love to look back at them from our modern age and see them as skulking in the shadows of the gospel, twiddling their moustaches as they come up with their latest plot to bring Jesus down. But Jesus' disciples, the people living at that time, would not have seen them like that. They were respected members of society holding tight to the law, trying their hardest to do the right things. They fasted, they tithed, they created ways to make sure they didn't break the law that was set out in the Torah. Better, for want of a different word, than many Christians today. Although we don't have a direct comparison in our society, I sort of think of them a bit like a temple staff team, the people you're meant to look to to guide you in matters of faith and behavior. It's only the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight that highlights their follies and their foibles. On the other hand, we have a tax collector, known in that society for stealing, cheating, working for those dastardly Romans. They were outcasts at best, traitors at worst. But again, there's a sort of biblical shorthand we've come to have with a tax collector. Look at the examples of Matthew and Zacchaeus. They're tax collectors who are redeemed. So we almost have a positive view of them, totally the opposite to their contemporaries. And if we read the passage with that framework, it's clear that most people listening would have expected the Pharisee to be the hero of the story, only to have the rug pulled out from under their feet as Jesus once again upsets society. I think it's easy to forget that Jesus was radical and dangerous. But as I read and reread this passage to prepare for today, a question kept popping into my mind. Are you 
an accidental Pharisee? I don't think it's a question just for me. I hope it's not. Um, But verse 9, the start of our passage, tells us who this parable is for. Luke does not mince his words when he says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Confident of their own righteousness. It's a very thin line between being righteous and being self-righteous. The difference between being morally right and morally superior. The difference between being justified before God and not. On the face of it, looking at the Pharisee's actions, he is doing nothing wrong. He's at the temple, he's praying, he's fasting, he tithes. These are all good, righteous things. But the trouble is he's confident that he is righteous and he uses that feeling of being morally right to be superior over everyone else. Doing the right thing doesn't come from his heart, from an outpouring of love for God and for others. Instead, it just gives him a sense of satisfaction that he is better than everyone else. And it's so, so easy to fall into this trap. In fact, how many of you have read this passage and thought, God, I thank you, I am not like the Pharisee? I know I have. Comparing ourselves to others, as he does, is so easy to do and so terrible. It's often said that comparison is the thief of joy, and this is true. But how often do we think of comparison as damaging our souls? It's not just our joy that's being stolen, but our righteousness. If you compare and find yourself wanting, it lowers your self-esteem. But if you compare and find yourself feeling superior to others, It opens a little foothold for the devil to get in and change your righteousness to self-righteousness. Are you an accidental Pharisee? Do you look around you and see how others are failing and think, well, thank goodness I'm not as bad as that? We are one verse into this passage. We've not even hit the parable yet and we're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the parable again then. Verses 10 to 13 say, uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I said earlier that the parable shows us about the very nature of prayer. These two men have totally different styles of praying. Let's look at the Pharisee's prayer first. Did you notice that his prayer was almost entirely focused on himself? Yep, he directs it at God, but it's not really to God. There is no confession, no praise of God or what he's done. There is thanks, but it's a really self-aggrandizing thanks. He's showing off. I was recently in our church school teaching the kids about Pharisees, and I said a lot of their behavior is about being noticed. 
It's a bit like when I've cleaned the bathroom and I want Tim, my husband, to praise me for doing it. So I'll say something like, um, have you been to the bathroom lately? Uh, and I'm fishing for those compliments. The bathroom needed cleaning. Really, I should be doing it for like health purposes. But I'm angling for Tim to tell me how brilliant I am. And that's all this prayer is for the Pharisee. He's angling for the people in the temple. And I think he's angling for God to tell him how brilliant he is. Well done, you. You fasted and tithed and you've not stolen or committed adultery. Aren't you marvellous? But then further back in the temple, we have the tax collector. The weight of his sin is weighing him down. He can't even raise his eyes to heaven because of the shame and sorrow he is feeling. He prays a much simpler prayer. He beats his breast. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He knows what he is. He knows that he falls short, as we all do. He comes almost on his knees and cries out from his heart to God, have mercy. He knows that it's not through what he's done or what others have done that he is saved, but that God alone saves. It should not be lost on us that Jesus is telling us this parable and he is the one to save us and bring us back to the Father. Are you an accidental Pharisee? Have you ever done something good and then told someone about it because you just need people to know? Have you prayed a prayer that is not God-focused, but instead focused entirely on you? We're lucky that Jesus has given us a great structure in the Lord's Prayer for how to pray. We're going to pray it a bit later. Um, and that is, in fact, a whole other talk, so I'll be really brief. But if you find yourself wondering how to pray, Jesus has taught us. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to praise God to begin with, to ask for his kingdom to come, and then ask for your needs and forgiveness for yourself before others, as well as leading not into temptation. My favorite part is the forgiveness for yourself before others. Until we feel the full forgiveness from God, it cannot overflow into forgiving others for the things they've done to hurt us. It is so different from the way the Pharisee views it. He doesn't ask for forgiveness for himself at all. He doesn't even ask God to forgive the others for the litany of sins he mentions and finds unforgivable. He just exalts himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, is straight into asking for forgiveness. I like to believe that this means he looks around and forgives others, but the parable doesn't tell us this, it's just my hope. But whatever he goes on to do in this moment, he humbles himself. He is justified before God. As a slight aside, I love that the physical position of these two men shows their hearts and their attitudes towards God. The Pharisee stands by himself. And I like to think of him as being near the front so that everyone can see him. He may well have been trying to get as close to the Holy of Holies as he was allowed to be without being high priest. So theoretically, closer to God. The tax collector stood at a distance, possibly not even inside the main temple, but in the courtyard outside, he might have been ceremonially unclean. Theoretically, further away from God. 
the reality is the opposite. There is a gulf between their standing with God, but it is the tax collector and his repentant heart who is justified before him and not the Pharisee and his pride. The tax collector knows he is not worthy to be in God's presence, to even be anywhere near him. None of us are. But through Jesus, we can be. We are welcomed into his presence despite everything that we are and given his mercy. I think there is still a little element of pride in where we position ourselves at church. The more confident you feel, the the more likely you are to sit at the front. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that people paid to have the best pews at the front of a church so they could be seen. Now, I'd originally written that I wasn't suggesting the people at the front were showing off, but well done, none of you are. Uh, But I know that when I enter a new church, if I'm on holiday, or it's particularly if I'm not working, I'm very unlikely to sit near the front because it's not my place. And yet somehow sitting further back and in a church where I'm not working, my heart is much more likely to be focused on worshiping God than on what's going on around me and what people can see. Even right now, having written this talk, I was stood there worshiping earlier and I was like, oh, I wonder what people are thinking as I'm moving my arms. And that's not what I should be focusing on. If I sit at the back, I focus much more on God. So I wonder, am I an accidental Pharisee? I also mentioned earlier that this passage speaks to the nature of salvation. So how are we saved? Obviously, very simple answer, it's Jesus. But Jesus himself told us this story, so it's worth exploring what I mean. The Pharisee seems to believe that his works, his actions are what will justify him in the sight of God. And as we've discussed, he wants everyone to know this. But at least from this short snippet of what we know about him, he seems to think that it is the only thing that will save him. We've already seen from his prayer that he doesn't see the need for God to be in his works. And that's not to say his good deeds are bad. His good deeds are good. It's just his boasting that is fatal. The tax collector, on the other hand, has no good works to his name. He's probably committed fraud or adultery or evil doing, but he totally and completely relies on God. He has complete and utter belief in God's mercy and love. He knows that he can be saved not through what he has done, but through God's boundless grace. 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us that the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Looking on in the temple, you would have seen a pillar of society versus the dregs of society. But God sees a smug, self-righteous man versus one who is broken and humble before him. He sees your heart, your motivations, your true self, not the front you present to the world. As verse 14 of our passage says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's so easy to laugh at the Pharisee from a distance to see how silly he is, but how often have you thrown yourself into doing good without questioning your motivations? 
Have you ever volunteered for something because you know you should and you quite want people to see you as the sort of person that volunteers rather than from an actual desire to help others? Are you an accidental Pharisee? It is faith and not works which save us. It's Jesus and not ourselves. Of course, if you have an abundance of faith, then the good works come flowing out of that. You want to help others because you genuinely love others. You want to tithe because giving to God is natural. You want to fast because you want to spend more time with God and recenter yourself on him. You want to pray to connect with him and build your relationship, not just to make yourself feel better. When I was a teenager, it was all the rage amongst Christian teens to have frog wristbands. I don't know how many of you remember them, uh, but they were brightly colored bands on your wrist with the letters F-R-O-G. It stood for fully rely on God. It was a gentle reminder as well as an encouragement. Fully rely on God. You shouldn't rely on yourself and you don't have to. It is so freeing. To be like the tax collector, humble and on our knees, knowing that it is through God that we are saved is so much more freeing than relying on racking up mythical points to try and receive a good enough total to get into heaven. I'm not suggesting that we need to hide at the back of church and beat our breasts and say sorry. In fact, I grew up uh, a Catholic, uh, and in the formal confession, we would beat our breast and say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. And if I'm honest, I found it a bit weird and a bit much. But the sentiment behind it is right. We are none of us righteous when compared to God. We all sin and make mistakes, but if we have a repentant heart, if we turn to God on our metaphorical or literal knees, your choice, and admit our fault and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us. He sent his son for us to open his arms of love upon the cross, as we say in the Eucharistic prayer, and save us. In him, we are free. I feel like this is a good point to circle back to the very start of the passage where Luke tells us who the parable is for. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Who is the parable for? We can all fall into the trap of being confident of our own righteousness. Most of us have at some point looked down on someone else. We have all been accidental Pharisees. The parable is for us, all of us. It reminds us of the difference between piety and humility. It reminds us to focus on God and not on ourselves. It reminds us to rely on him and we will find grace and freedom and mercy. And all that in six short verses. Let's stand and pray if the band would come back. And I wonder if you want to just take a moment to admit to God those moments where you may have accidentally been a Pharisee. When you have been pious and not humble. 
morally superior instead of morally right. And Lord, we thank you that you forgive us, that we just have to turn to you and say, have mercy, and you will. And I pray, Lord, that we would each of us know that mercy to be true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we are going to